We are continuing in our Christ Encounters series that we've been in all summer, and we are starting a new category, and it's the last category of the specific encounters that we've been looking at. Uh, We're starting the encounters that I've titled The Broken, Broken, because each person in this group is certainly one that would be categorized as very, very broken, and yet Jesus met them where they were right where they were at, right in that brokenness. You, you probably know about the, uh, the different urban legends. You've heard about them. You've read stuff about it. You've seen supposed footage. I mean, think of Bigfoot. Um, maybe he lives here, you know. Who knows? It's possible. Uh, the Loch Ness Monster and all the hoaxes that went with that, and yet there's people who still you know, swear there's a Loch Ness Monster. The Mothman, that's a, a, a definite West Virginia folklore, the Mothman. He's uh, over at the Mountain State Golf, too, I think. I think Kevin has him over there. You can go and see him. Uh, and so these, these urban legends, you know, they're the stuff of of whispers and campfires and mysteries and dares for all the local children to see if they can convince the, their friends to go out and, and try to see them late at night. Uh, we know all about them. And, and there's the, they're the people and the things and the creatures that other people want to avoid and they try to avoid. And, and there's just this fear that surrounds them. And, and yet they're, they're infamous in all of the stories told about them. That's kind of the character that we're going to see in this encounter today. That's kind of how he was. Mark chapter 5 is where we're going to be. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 20. Mark 5, verses 1 through 20. And this encounter takes place right after Jesus calmed the storm, the wind and the waves. They were on the Sea of Galilee, he and the disciples. Pretty familiar story. And a storm came out of nowhere, and the disciples thought they were going to die, and Jesus was asleep, you know, and, and they wake him up, and he, he gets up, and he just rebukes the storm. He rebukes the waves. He just, you know, stop it. And it stops, and they're amazed, and then they're at the shore. And so this encounter takes place after that, after this amazing display of his power over nature, over creation, that creation and nature in all of its raging, still answers to him. They saw that with, with their eyes, and then this encounter takes place. Verse 1, Mark chapter 5. They came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as he, Jesus, got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit, that's a man possessed, came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs, and no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain, because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Not yet, anyway. Verse 5. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So, you know, like some of us before that first cup of coffee in the morning. Or, you know, how you kids are going to be on the the first day of school this week. Definitely what we can identify with. (laughs) Verse 6. 
When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him, and he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Right right there, at the beginning of this man's encounter with Christ, we're taught something. We're taught something very important. And that's that there is a big difference between believing things about Jesus and believing in Jesus. Right here at the beginning of this encounter, we're shown that. Because here's this man possessed who runs to Jesus, bows before him, recognizing his, his power and his, his position and his majesty, and he also recognizes his ability and his power and his dominion over him. I mean, this is the demon talking. Because he, he says, I beg you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God. I mean, he's recognizing his divinity. He's recognizing his place of, of authority. I beg you before God, don't torment me. And so here's this demon-possessed man, and the, the demon speaking through this man at this point, recognizing who and what Jesus is, but he certainly doesn't believe in Jesus. There's a big difference between believing things about Jesus and believing in Jesus. Or you could broaden that and make that general. There's a big difference between saying, oh, I believe in God. There's a difference between that and knowing God, walking with God. Serving God, loving God. Big difference in all of that. James 2.19, and and I'm just going to read this to you, and this is from the NLT. I love the way the NLT just really brings to life the intention of what James was saying. He says, You say that you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror, which... We see here on display at the beginning of this encounter. Here's the demon-possessed man, the man controlled by the, the demons in him, and he runs out and he doesn't, he doesn't insult Jesus. He doesn't you know, mock him. What is, he falls on his face before him, and I can just see him shaking, don't you? Just shaking as he's with a trembling voice saying, please, please, don't, don't send us out, please. Don't torment us. They knew who Jesus was. They believed in what he could do. They knew where he came from. They knew that he was the keeper of all eternity. They knew he was the one that made them. Think about that. The demons in this man were created beings, angels, fallen angels. But that means they were created like everything else in creation. And who did the creating? The one before them, right there. They knew who their creator was. But that doesn't mean they were submissive to him. That doesn't mean they honored him. That doesn't mean they were part of his kingdom. Mike and Marcy Brown are good friends of ours. They're lifelong friends. And they are missionaries in Peru. And we were privileged to have them in our in our house for a few days this summer, earlier in the summer, and 
before they came to be with us, they were at Yellowstone National Park, and, and they showed us all these pictures, and they were amazing, and told us the stories about their time there, and we felt like we were there. I mean, that's how vivid the pictures were and how great their descriptions were. But we weren't there. We hadn't been there. We, we certainly know about Yellowstone, and we believe it exists, but we haven't experienced it personally. They did. They experienced it. And as great as they described it, I mean, we still weren't able to really experience it firsthand. And that's how it works. That's how it is with knowing God and, and more specifically knowing Jesus and having a relationship with Him. Nobody else can do that for you. You can't know Jesus vicariously through someone that knows Jesus. You have to know Him for yourself, personally. Believing things about Jesus is limited to general facts and information. Believing in Jesus, it's all about personal faith and commitment that results in personal transformation. That's what believing in Jesus is about. And that's the difference. And we see that right here on display at this encounter. Well, let's, let's jump back into the encounter itself. Verse 9 Here's Jesus' response to the demons through this man displaying what they did. Verse 9, What is your name? He asked him. My name is Legion, he answered, and because we are many. A Roman army legion of this day and this time usually contained five or 6,000 soldiers. That doesn't mean that this man literally had that many demons in him, but the point was clear, and that's that there was an army-sized group of demons. It wasn't just one demon. It was a, a whole host of demons in this man. Wow, right? I mean, we can't even, can't even imagine that. We can't wrap our minds around the torment that this man must have been under. Certainly, though, explains the way he was as, as he's described here and the strength that he had and, and just the way his situation was, it, it certainly makes sense knowing that there was an army-sized group of demons in this man. But it does seem like we're given the exact number of how many were inside of him as we keep reading, so let's do that. Verse 10, and he begged him, so the, the demon-possessed man, the legion of demons in this man, begged Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the region. Here's where it gets comical. Verse 11, a large herd of pigs was there, feeding on the hillside. And the demons begged him, send us to the pigs so that we may enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, the herd of about 2,000. So there's a pretty good idea of how many were in this man. The herd of about 2,000, now being possessed by the legion that was within this man, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. What a sound and sight. That would have been. <laughs> I, mean, I, I really hope that there will be recordings of certain events that took place in the Bible when we are in heaven. Because, I mean, this is one I would love to see. I would love to ask God just to show me that, that video 
Uh, it would be great. Verse 14, the men who tended them ran off and reported it in the town, in the countryside, and people went to see what happened. I can just hear them standing around saying, man, that swine flu. That was for free. Verse 15, they came to Jesus and saw the man who had been, isn't that beautiful right there? Had been. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And don't miss this reaction, though. And they were afraid. We'll come back to that part in just a minute because that's too important to miss. But I want to focus on the fact that here's this man who just moments earlier continued in the same unthinkable torment that he had been in for who knows how long. Nobody could help him. Nobody could do a thing about him. People tried to control him and and keep him contained and they couldn't do it. He snapped all their chains and he still remained enslaved to this horrible captivity. But as soon as Jesus encounters him, he became the man who had been possessed. This tells us something else and shows us something that we we need to remember because it's, it's true all the time. Broken people are the only kind of people there are. And no one is too broken for Jesus to restore. Church, broken people are the only kind of people there are. That's it. That's humanity. To be human is to be broken. And helplessly, hopelessly broken apart from Christ. But the really good news is no matter how broken we are, no one, no one is too broken for Jesus to restore. And this man is the prime example of that. Nobody else could do anything about his condition. Nobody could make him right. Nobody could restore him. No one could rescue him but Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus did. See, no matter how bad and powerful our present may be, Jesus can make it past tense. And that's the good news of the gospel. You might be here today and your present might be really, really powerful and really, really bad. But the Savior that this man encountered is waiting to encounter you. And He's drawing you to Himself and He's inviting you to Himself. And when you encounter Him like this man did, I don't care what your present is like, it can be your past tense today, right now. The last part of that verse 15 that we just read said, as the people saw the man who had been demon-possessed, who was broken and now restored, their reaction, I mean, it's, it's striking. Instead of being in awe in a good way and and celebrating and rejoicing and surrounding Jesus and saying, hey, if you restored this man, I think you could restore me. You could restore my marriage. You could restore my life. You could restore my children. Could you do that for me? Instead of that, what happened? 
It says, they were afraid. And then verse 16 adds to that. It goes for, further with that. And we, we see what it means that they were afraid. And, and it just builds on it. Let's look at that. Verse 16. Those who had seen it, who had seen the deliverance, described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs. And so as, as the people that are gathering are hearing that eyewitness report, verse 17, look at their reaction, which is connected to they were afraid at, at the end of verse 15. Then they, they heard all this, they're, they're processing all this. Then they began to beg him, Jesus, to leave their region. I mean, what? Why? Why would they do that? Because after seeing what Jesus was able to do with that man, I think they were wondering how he might change things for them. How their lives might get turned upside down. And they didn't want that. They weren't recognizing their desperate need for that to happen. They weren't willing to admit that that's exactly what they needed. They needed their lives, their world turned upside down. They too were in captivity, in slavery to sin that only Jesus could rescue them from and restore them from. But they didn't want that. Kind of like what we talked about last week, where Jesus, the light of the world, came into the world to rescue the world, and he said, but... John 3, but men loved. John 3.19 says men loved. And we said that that was the same word, the same degree, supreme degree of love that God loved the world so much that He sent His Son to save. The world loved darkness instead of the light. Because their deeds were evil and they didn't want their deeds exposed. So they rejected the light. It's the same thing we're seeing here with these people. They see Jesus, the only one that could rescue and transform and restore this man. And they're afraid of him because they're afraid he will do something drastic and radical in their life. And they like their life the way it is. Thank you very much. See, many times, they're not alone. It's not unique to this group of people, unfortunately. Many times, people avoid Jesus like the plague because they're afraid of losing their freedom. But here's the thing. That's an illusion. It's a mirage. The sad irony is that by rejecting Jesus, they reject real freedom. And they remain in a prison that they don't even realize they're in. Anyone outside of Christ is in prison. They're enslaved. They're enslaved to their own sinful nature. They're enslaved to the impulses of sin, the dominance of sin on their lives. And really, ultimately, they're enslaved to Satan himself. If you're not set free by Jesus, doesn't matter how free you might think you are, you're you're in captivity. And that's what was true of these people. But, as we're going to see, Jesus honored their request. As C.S. Lewis says in Chronicles of Narnia, all get what they want, 
but not all like it. Jesus honored their request. They begged him to leave. He said, okay. Verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed, there's that beautiful past tense again, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. Do you see that great contrast? The people that should be begging Jesus to stay are begging him to leave. The one that he freed and rescued and restored is begging him to go with him. He begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. Why? What was the motivation for that? It's because this man, he didn't just witness the awesome power of Jesus. He personally experienced it. And he was personally changed forever because of it. That filled him with this overwhelming gratitude and a desire to really know and serve him with the rest of his life. Is that true of you today? Have you encountered this Christ? Have you encountered the Savior? If so, that means you've been rescued and restored just like this man was. It doesn't mean that, you know, I mean, you didn't have a legion of demons in you. It doesn't take that. We're all really in the same boat. Pardon the pun. We're all in the same boat. We're all totally broken. We're all in desperate need for what only Jesus can do. We're all in captivity and enslaved to sin and to Satan apart from Jesus' intervention in our life. So if you have been set free by Jesus, if you know Him as your personal Lord and Savior, your reaction, my reaction, needs to be the same as this man. Please take me with you. Please let me be close to you. Please let me know you. Help me to know you better. Let me serve you. Just, just let me serve you. Wherever you're going, I want to go. Wherever you are, I want to be. Whatever's on your heart, I want it to be in my heart. I want you to rule me. I want you to reign in me. I just want to follow you. Is that true of you today? Which, which category are you in? Are you more like the crowd of people that see Jesus' power and His ability to change a life, but instead of welcoming that and celebrating that, you're terrified of it and you say, please, Jesus, just leave me alone? Or are you like this man who says, please don't ever leave me? You've set me free and I can't, I can't get close enough to you. I, I need more of you. Verse 19. Jesus, this is interesting, it's not what we would maybe expect at first glance, Jesus did not let him, but told him, go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So, he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, which is the ten cities. It's, it was a, a grouping of ten cities or in the area. In Decapolis, that's what that means, the ten cities. Went out and began to proclaim there how much Jesus had done for him. And they were all amazed. 
And that amazement, that's, that's a good thing. That was in contrast to the people in his own village there, his own community. This was the amazement like the people surrounding the woman at the well in Samaria had. But why, why did Jesus respond to the man's request the way he did? I mean, it obviously had a good result and a good end, but, you know, when you read that, at least when I do, I'm struck by that. I mean, here's this man who's been rescued miraculously by Jesus. His life changed. He, he is in awe of Jesus. He, he wants to do a good thing. He wants to follow Jesus, go where he goes and be where he is and learn from him and know him better. I mean, that's a really good thing. So, why did Jesus say, no, no, I, I don't want you to come with me. Instead, I want you to go out and tell others what happened. Why? It's because that's the beautiful strategy of our Savior. That's the beautiful strategy of our Savior. Every time, He takes the broken people that He restored and He speaks through their scars and their rewritten stories. Isn't that that great? That we have a Savior that doesn't just restore our brokenness, but then uses us to speak through our scars, the scars of our brokenness and our sin. He speaks through that. He doesn't waste it. He speaks through it and He redeems all of our hurt and all of the tragedy of, of even our own sin. He redeems it. He speaks through it. And He rewrites our stories as only He can. It's what He did with this man. It's what He does with every person that encounters Him. There is an ancient Japanese art known as kintsugi. Kintsugi, that's a really fun word. Um, Kintsugi. And this, this is an ancient Japanese art and it's a method of repairing broken pottery. And what happens in this, this art style and this method of repair is that the cracked pots are, are fixed by filling the broken areas with gold or silver. And Kintsugi art views the broken places on a pot that had to be restored as something to highlight instead of something to hide. When the cracks are filled in, it it makes the restored object even more beautiful than the original and leaves it with this this one-of-a-kind character and unique quality. That's our story, Christian. That's us. You see, God's glory... Oh, this is so good. God's glory shines through broken people. God's glory shines through broken people. That was true for the man who had been possessed. And it's true for us too. It's true for us. 2 Corinthians 4, 6-7 through Such an amazing passage of Scripture. And it's what, what we're talking about here. It's what we're seeing in this encounter. 2 Corinthians 4, 6-7 And I'm reading from the NIV for this passage. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, 
made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure, that that treasure, that light of the knowledge of God's glory, that's the treasure displayed in the face of Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Jars of clay are easily broken. They're they're fragile. They crack easy and they they show they show cracks very evidently. And so it's very deliberate and intentional that that awesome treasure of the light of the glory of God displayed in the face of Christ, that it would be in jars of clay that we are. Why? What's the purpose? We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Because there's just no way we can manufacture that kind of light or glory. Aren't you glad, oh believer, aren't you glad that God's glory shines through broken people? Take that light that you've been given in the fragile condition that you are. And don't, just like with the kintsugi art and those restored vessels, don't view those scars that you might still have as something to hide. or Don't let the enemy convince you that those are sources of shame. Rather, glory in your weakness, like Paul said knowing that God's glory shines all that much brighter through, through your, your cracks and your scars. What a God. What a God we have. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word, how powerful and relevant and beautiful it is. I thank You for this encounter that we were able to hear and and see through Your Word and through the illuminating work of Your Holy Spirit. Thank You for for preserving this encounter. What an example of total brokenness and desperation and hopelessness restored and reversed, a life transformed. And thank You that the same experience that this man had is, is what we can experience. Because it's the same Savior that rescues. The same Savior that restores. Father, I pray that everyone here has been personally restored by this same Jesus. But if there is anyone that has not yet encountered the living Christ, who has not yet been delivered and transformed like this man was, please let today, let right now be the time, the moment of their rescue and their restoration. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory for it. Thank you, God, for being a God whose glory is seen and displayed and, and, and shown through broken people. Thank you for using us. We're all cracked pots. But you speak through our scars. And you rewrite our stories. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. May we shine brightly for you 
that others may see that there is hope for them too. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.